1: Welcome back to The Front Three. Joining myself and Lawrence today is our guest, our friend, Christian Hurley, who this week has written an article for the latest edition of Pickles magazine called Nudge Racism Out of Football. Uh, Christian, welcome to The Front Three, firstly. It's a
0: pleasure to be here on such a prestigious podcast. Yeah,
1: that's that's not true. Um, I, I actually asked you to put together an intro for yourself Um, you did mention the most important thing which is that you played with myself and Lawrence at Wembley but in actual professional terms you've got a background in advertising and content strategy you actually met us a few years ago when we all worked together on XO and a number of projects with The True Geordie and you've probably regretted staying in touch with us ever since
0: I regret the day that I met you. It's been <laughs> traumatic ever
1: since. But it was all worth it because now you're on, as you said, such a such a prestigious podcast. I mean,
0: podcast. I never thought I'd get on this podcast, Adam. Because one one day I was reading one of my favourite magazines Caracom magazine I don't know if you know that I'm just going to read the description of Caracom magazine Caracom magazine sprang from a need To see football and fan culture examined Through the criminally unexplored lens Of the black experience in the United Kingdom and beyond And on the back page of the edition of Caracom that I had It had massively underrepresented podcasts Including White Male Privilege the Sunday Supplement, the Football Ramble and the front three and and I brought this to your attention Adam. Wait, what? Do you not know this Lawrence? Have I not told you no, this? I think,
1: I think at the time Adam actually sent it to me. <laughs> I said I was mean, just delighted to be included on a list that they knew who we were. Yeah,
0: I was quite <laughs> shocked that you, you were just so honoured to be on the same list as the Football <laughs> Ramble and the Sunday Supplement, whereas I was like, aren't you disappointed? <laughs>
1: ah come on, I was being facetious. Suddenly, your facetious comments look very ill. Dead, I know, yeah. they, well, yeah. this is the thing. I mean, last week, Christian, myself, and Lawrence, uh, we spoke at length about all the issues that are going on at the moment. But I mean, as someone who isn't a middle class white man, which is, as we've just explained, is rare on this podcast, let alone in the World of Football podcast, what have been some of your, your thoughts on the events of, uh, of the past few weeks?
0: Um, yeah, I, I had I had written this article a few months ago for for my friend Ned who runs Pickles Magazine about uh, nudge behaviour and how that could be uh, used to sort of make some positive changes within uh, sort of fan behaviour and, and racist abuse within football and and it just so happens that we're we're publishing it this week uh, which seems quite a pertinent time to publish it so I am grateful to let's come on the podcast and speak about the subject uh to answer your question about how I how I felt about the last few weeks mixed emotions as as someone that's personally experienced these things it's it's all sorts of things isn't it I, I think last week when we spoke I was pretty dour about it wasn't I? I was pretty cynical about 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 the reactions and and I just thought it was a bit of a fad and people were jumping on on a bandwagon I think um I've been encouraged by my white middle-class girlfriend to look more deeply into it on on social media over the weekend. And and my opinions changed slightly in that that I do think there has been a difference in terms of of what people are speaking about this time, in that there's been an acknowledgement of maybe systematic and more insidious underlying issues when it comes to to race in, in society. And that feels like it's being acknowledged by a wider audience than before. Um, but but the cynical side of me can't help but think that is because uh, everyone's locked down and, and Tiger King finished a few weeks ago. So, but <laughs> but there is something positive going on. I just I'm I'm not convinced as to how long it will last.
1: It is I think it's the early days of this potential movement. But I mean, we were talking about this last week, myself, Lawrence, and Chris, and I think we were feeling generally quite positive. You know, there is as you say, it feels a bit different. There's this ground sort of support, this ground sort of activism. And specifically in relation to sports, it feels like you know there's there's a feeling that brands can't just tweet out hashtag Black Lives Matter anymore, and that's going to be enough. They need to take action. We've seen Michael Jordan, the Jordan brand, commit 100 million dollars over the next 10 years to racial equality and social justice organizations. We saw the NFL announce a U-turn on the league's ban on players taking the knee in protest during the national anthem at games, and in football, we saw FIFA. Who uh, once upon a time said, "Just shake hands and get on with it." Uh, Gianni Infantino has advocated for applause, not punishment, for players who show solidarity with the movement on the pitch. I mean, to speak to what you just mentioned there, do you feel optimistic specifically with regards to, to brands and, and sports organisations that these initiatives are going to continue, that this change is could be lasting, or are these just grander but ultimately still performative gestures that that might fizzle out?
0: Yeah, you, you you mentioned Michael Jordan there, and mm. and Lawrence is actually obviously a much much bigger basketball fan than either of us, and has a lot more knowledge of it. And I, I've, I've obviously watched the Michael Jordan stuff over the last couple of weeks, but I was just wondering what Lawrence's opinion on yeah. on Michael Jordan speaking out about it is, because he's he's known to to sort of not not <laughs> necessarily speak up about these things. So i would just be interested on his perspective before I answer your, your excellent question, Adam.
2: (laughs) I think sure. Maybe from my angle, um, the way that I read it is that in the documentary, they actually do approach this, don't they? I think they address the fact that he said something to paraphrase him along the lines of, um, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, people in the South buy sneakers too. And I think, it speaks to how far he maybe has come personally, but also how far the brand has come and how branding maybe, um, and maybe the what, what I, makes me uncomfortable about it is almost that he has to leverage his cool and not necessarily his voice in order to put something behind it. And that he had to get to a level which is so untouchable in his mind that it doesn't matter if he says it or not. And so there's almost nothing. It, I, you know, maybe I'm being cynical about a guy who's now now seen the error of his ways in the past. I suppose there's a number of ways you can read it. For that reason, I'd rather take it, and as I would with most things at the moment, with less of a cynical approach. But you can't. Maybe you can't help but feel a bit cynical around all these actions right now. But yeah. I, I mean, you know, Michael Jordan has had other influences on other um, people outside of lending your voice to a cause so maybe you know me being or anyone being cynical about something where you know essentially he was a black man that globally showed what a powerful black person can be and what a good black man can be um i think there's a number of ways to read it i guess is
1: what i'm saying yeah it's hard not to be cynical i think at the same time that was uh an incredible gesture and an incredible commitment because we've seen companies like Disney and companies like Lego pledge millions of dollars to similar initiatives, but not at that level and not at that lasting commitment, which I think is incredible. But to speak to to what you mentioned there, I mean, specifically with FIFA, who've, who've come out, as I said, and and sort of given their backing to this Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, it's a frustrating one from them, specifically with regards to football, because when you think about some of the actions they've taken in the past, where... They failed. I'm thinking about the fines they have levied against teams for for drinking non-sponsored energy drinks. They're comparable to fines they've levied against football federations for their fans chanting racist abuse at games. In those situations, Christian, and when you look at FIFA and you look at certain organisations, at the moment, it's hard not to think it's all talk.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can't help but feel it's all talk. Because what... Why wouldn't the NFL have taken a, a U-turn on their stance once they realized that Colin Kaepernick had actually done something amazing and Nike had backed him as an ambassador and there was loads of positive sentiment that came off the back of that. They still didn't didn't sort of reflect on, on the decisions that they made then and, and and hold their hands up. So I can't help but feel that it's cynical from that point of view. Uh it won't do any favours to my my career in the advertising industry but knowing some of the conversations that I've been privy to through through personal experience in the past and and through some professional experience uh, maybe you know working remotely with a, a girlfriend that is also in this industry and some of the decisions her companies are having to make from a comms point of view this week it all feels like it's coming from a reactive and how do we look good point of view as much as it's coming from a uh, let's be reflective and, and think about doing something for the long term.
2: Do you, do you, can I ask you as well? Because I, I know you've—I've written the article. I've obviously—I've not read it. I've not read the article. But around that, what I do wonder is: Are we? Um, you know, I think we should be cynical about change. Um, and I guess what I am extremely worried about is the pushback from—I uh, guess what are considered to be right-wing white organizations. In inverted commas, mm-hmm. I do. Worry about those kind of things, especially considering what we're seeing. Nigel Farage able to say on the news today about Antifa being terrorists, basically, or a- akin to Al Qaeda. And also, the worry is, uh, you know, people like Katie Hopkins talking about white Britain and black Britain mm. and uh, trying to generalise about people. So and I guess. What- so, so oh. who would be a right wing
0: organisation?
2: Uh, I, well, I mean... Um,
1: it's his it's right-wing, perso- perso- it's, it's right-wing personality, I I, isn't it? You, you spoke last yeah. week, Lawrence, about how this your your concern is this could be like a kind of a rubber band. This is a, a very a very real reaction to not just the George Floyd killing, but everything that's gone on in the world in the last four years. This is yeah. a reaction. That, is there going to be a counter-reaction? Are we kind of in a, in a vicious cycle?
2: I think we're kind of seeing that right now in, in the sense that, that people that's the way the news cycle works now. And I don't actually think the news cycle is particularly helpful in uh, exploring issues because I think it goes one way extreme and then it goes the other way extreme. And then we always sort of finish in, um, not always, but very often finish in the middle in kind of um, apathy in a sense, because we go, well, these guys think this and these guys think that. And what I would, I guess, uh, you know, we've all heard, (laughs) there's a number of things I'm kind of interested in say in the past week you know we've seen a lot of people take an extreme uh opposite to black lives matter we've also seen black lives matter take a very i actually think you know what's weird about it is it's being portrayed as an extreme position is i guess what i'm getting at and so people are reacting in extremely weird ways around it in the performative sense so uh and then other people i, I don't know, I'm, I'm maybe i'm just uh sort of leaving thoughts here but what i'm really saying is you know, Black Lives Matter is not an extreme position, I guess is what I'm saying. And what's strange is that it's taken this amount of time and this amount of um, coercion to convince big organisations <laughs> that this isn't such a, a taboo thing to do. It's such a weird, That's such a weird position in the J- first place. Just
0: to do the basics, like we won't extradite you from the league if you, if you take right. a stance yeah. against something that infringes on your humanity. We won't (laughs) won't punish you for saying, oh, I want to be treated like a human.
2: Uh, Yeah, and not not only that, but I think that the the problem is at the moment as well, we are, um, I've been watching a lot of Adam Curtis documentaries in this last week. And when you watch Adam Curtis, you get obsessed with like social structure and those kind of things. And one thing that is like a predominant theory and a predominant narrative throughout his documentary is about there being, especially in the media and especially in the modern Western world, just one prevailing narrative, which everyone seems to have to fit within. And actually, I think what's weird is, and but what's positive about it is obviously that spreads Black Lives Matter. And we've seen, um, you know, protests elsewhere. But what it also does is it also seems to suggest that there is only one solution to racism. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what I'm interested in when you're talking about nudge racism out of football it seems to me to be also a sliding scale. So you can react very extremely to a Farage, which he deserves an extreme reaction. But there are some friends who don't need you to go and hit them in the face with it. But there will be people who you need them to go, mate, that is pretty racist, what you just said there. Yeah,
0: I see what you're saying. And that's a, yeah, that's a really interesting point. And it's something that this week has actually made me reflect on a little bit. Because like I said, I wrote, I wrote this article and 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 for those of your listeners that are not, familiar with nudge behavior but which i assume there are none because i assume this is a highly intelligent uh, cere- <laughs> you're wrong, so please do explain <laughs> it <know. laughs> yeah.
2: you're really going to need to explain everything
0: okay i i didn't really i thought this was a cerebral podcast that reflected yourself adam you lawrence and statman dave as well who i also assume has got an extremely uh academic audience and- <laughs> no no that's just,
1: that's just what we wanted people to think
0: Okay. So so yeah, this last week has made me reflect on this article that I've written that has been published in Pickles Magazine, at Pickles Magazine, on Instagram at Pickles Magazine, on Twitter. Picklesmagazine.com. It's subtle, very know. subtle promotion. Purchase that magazine, yeah. No, no, but it is it's made me reflect on on what I'd written and and, and it actually came from the heart of what, what I've experienced as a football fan going to stadiums and always feeling uncomfortable or every single time i've been to a premier league football match i've heard something unsavory be that racist homophobic i've felt unsettled as someone that isn't white that maybe it will get turned on me especially if i were to to bring it up and therefore i I've, I've sort of been compelled to write this this article about little things that you could do to change to change the sort of the fan experience for the better without being radical and actually the black lives matter um sort of movement and momentum that's sort of happened in the UK over the last week has made me reflect and think have I gone strong enough with my my opinion and there are lots of differences in in how strong or how how where you should sort of draw the line with with your perspective but nudge behavior is a concept in behavioral economics political theory and behavioral sciences which pr- proposes that positive reinforcement and indirect suggestions As ways to influence the behaviour and decision-making of groups and individuals. So rather than trying to educate people, rather than trying to reform people and transform their their perspective on the world, just creating situations where you get positive reinforcement for indirect suggestions can actually influence behaviour. And that was something I was really interested in as a football fan that didn't feel like I'm going to turn people from being racist to not racist, but maybe you could Create an environment in which it's more likely that that element of your character isn't brought out, if that makes sense. But it made me think this week: is that strong enough position to have? Should I be more radical, radical, quote unquote, like you said, and demand that I that I have (laughs) (laughs) complete humanity? But (laughs) my perspective was like that probably won't happen. But what might be able to happen is you can change the the environment of a football stadium a little bit, make some tweaks, and people will therefore be more likely to behave in a certain way that would be more Uh, more of an acceptable and appropriate place and and more of a fun place for me to go as a a non-white football fan.
1: It's really interesting because I think to to speak to what you mentioned there, Lawrence, about it being one size fits all, it does feel like now, I feel like it opens up the opportunity for a multi-layered approach, a multi-function approach where it could be things like nudge behaviour, this theory of of how you could sort of change behaviours on a smaller scale could play into what looks like now a large-scale movement, which could change perceptions and change the attitudes and, and actions of brands and institutions on a much larger level. With regards to the nudge behavior, though, Christian, um, I have read the article, but just for the audience, what do you think these kind of these kind of nudges or these kind of small tweaks could be that could result in, as you say, a more positive experience for fans?
0: So the first time I came across uh, nudge behaviour, I went to a talk on, it was on drug policy reform when I when I worked there and there was a guy with the unfortunate name, Tom Gash, who was a political advisor and he's worked as a consultant for the, the government in the nudge behaviour unit um, mm. where they would use these sort of little positive reinforcements and tweaks to Environments to, to check, make significant changes in behavior. So, one of the things in, in his book that he brings up is a, a bit of a crisis in Germany of people stealing automobiles and mopeds. Uh, so, rather than what normally happens when there's a bit of a spike in crime, that the government or the police crack down and say, Right, there's going to be a harsher sentence or bigger fine if you commit this crime. He says, don't do that. Instead, make a tweak to the environment that um, disincentivizes people to do that behaviour. So what they did in Germany in the 80s was they made it illegal to ride without a helmet. So suddenly, if you wanted to rob a moped, you needed to already have a helmet on you. So suddenly there's an extra step in place so people are just less likely to do it. And what happens that's really interesting in, in his talks, which you can find on YouTube and and his and his books is that he says that other crimes don't suddenly spike up. That crime drops and nothing happens because people are often doing bad things because there's an opportunity or an environment in which to do it. So if you make a change to that environment that disincentivizes people to to act like that, they just won't act like that, and that'll be it because people are inherently fine and good people and they're just doing it because it's the thing to do, we can get away with so you it don't
2: th- Yeah, that, that is an interesting idea actually not that people are good but that people are at least decent mm. Mm.
0: So so at football stadiums for example it's not entirely acceptable to make a, a racist comment but it is acceptable to the point where you probably won't get chucked out the stadium you probably won't get uh, spoken down to by the hundreds of people that are surrounding you You'll probably just get ignored a little bit or maybe a couple of people will carry on. That's been my experience in a football stadium. Someone says a racist comment to a fan or someone else in the stand and people just kind of ignore it. But it's kind of accepted. Now, that's a very scary experience if you're an ethnic minority sitting there because you're like, oh, it could be me next if 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 I catch the attention of that guy. The crowd seems to be fine with that. Maybe they'll all start turning on me. It's a very uncomfortable experience. But could there be something from this world of nudge behaviour that discourages people without going, you have to be banned for life if you're ever caught or we have to find everyone? This is very difficult to do that, but maybe it's easier just to make a little tweet to the behaviour. Another example that is in, in my article is uh, nightclubs where they incentivize bouncers to treat people nicely when they went into the club and that created a, a nicer, more positive environment. So simply by financially incentivizing the bouncers to treat nightclub goers in a certain way, suddenly you get a different environment, you make soft drinks cheaper, alcoholic drinks more expensive... You put food stalls and food shops around the nightclub. People can eat and sober up. Suddenly you've created a much more conducive environment that will reduce and has been proven to reduce violent, violent crime and violent acts at, at in and around a nightclub and, and sort of binge drinking culture. So you, you're just making little changes that encourage people to act in a certain way. And to me, that isn't the we've got to change everything right now and climb up that really difficult mountain of, of solving racism. Mm. That's make a really make some small changes that maybe encourage people to behave in a certain way.
1: I think it's fascinating because as you say, the, the overall problem is so vast and so difficult to, to solve, as you say, but if there's a way to attack the problem from different levels, as you say, it could, it be a combination of these more stricter punishments and then, as you say, these sort of nudge behaviours, these small changes in yeah. the environment. Yeah,
0: yeah, certainly. I think Chelsea are doing something interesting because Abramovich has been very um, passionate about anti-Semitism. So mm. they they give Chelsea fans the option not to be... You can either be banned for life if you're found guilty of anti-Semitism, or you can go on like this educational course. I'm not sure right. how effective the reporting mechanisms are within Stamford Bridge for, for actually finding fans that are guilty of this. But if they are found to be guilty, they're given this option to to go to Auschwitz and learn about about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism. Like it's quite but or they can be banned for life, but they're not sort of cast out. So I think there's an interesting thing to your point about the combination of of approach yeah. there and saying like it's not just banned for life if in the unlikely event that we catch you, we won't let you back in. There's an option there. But I think more could be done inside the stadium and the sort of the curation, as wanky as it sounds, of football fans going to, to matches that could encourage a different environment. The argument that I think I include in my my article, well, I can't remember because I wrote it many months ago, which shows how on the money I am with these sort of things <laughs> that I that I predict them. Months in advance was that you potential the potential thing with introducing nudge behaviors in a football stadium is you detract from the thing that people love, which is the atmosphere and the tribalism, and right. and that's kind of what I think is I'd be interested to hear yours and Lawrence's thoughts on. I think there's a link between tribalism, prejudice, and atmosphere that <laughs> that we can't shy away from, and that actually if you start removing some of those elements, you start killing the the sort of the atmosphere in stadiums Paris Saint-Germain did a did a great job of <laughs> removing uh, sort of the white fascists and the the, um, the ultras from Arabic backgrounds and created a, a much more harmonious atmosphere but it's gone from being one of the best atmospheres in, in Europe to being uh, NBA style nothingness and, and that's the what? dilemma that we face
2: NBA style
0: star- <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, yeah, he, did, he, he knew what he was saying there lads yeah you know you were saying
2: and it's like i'll be honest christian it's charged against me i um you know what i think very often though people do a bad um <clears throat> so you see stadiums get remodeled or you see like you say curation change and very often you're just left with a vacuum rather than a replacement or a shift or these kind of things and For me, tribalism doesn't go hand in hand with racism because, I mean, if you go to somewhere like Union Berlin, where they are tribalist, but they're against, they're tribalist against Nazis and tribalist against, you know, uh, whatever it is, then that's the opposite, isn't it? Um, And I think actually a, a lot of a lot of these behaviors and a lot of the things that uh, go on in stadiums we shouldn't ignore them or we shouldn't necessarily try to silence them we should actually hear these people not go you've got a valid position and, and try and you know normalize it but understand why some of these people are racist and understand where that root comes from and i'm not saying we need to hear more white people or more, you know whatever but I do think, you know, it, when you're watching Mind Hunter or something like that, you also have to understand why the person murdered. You have to understand why these people do these things, because I think you get a much greater understanding and a much, and you can create much better frameworks to stop those things from happening. Which is what PSG didn't do. They didn't. They just basically went, "It must be those Arabics." Well,
0: they like, ban- they, they just banned you know, that, all the ultras, didn't they? They banned all the ultras. Correct. Yeah. White or Arab. But that,
2: that also. That also looked a bit, that looked charged at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you.
1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today.
0: Well, it's a, it's an interesting point, Lawrence, you make about uh understanding why uh people are, are doing it. My my that's why I think to go back to your earlier thing of like what people really want, it was like for me personally, I just want it to be a less toxic place for me to go to and I don't care I don't actually care why people are making those comments. But actually, from an academic or from like a professional point of view, I'd be very interested to know why people are, are saying those things. But from like a football fan, I'd love to go to more matches. I don't I just don't want to experience that. But I what I'd also be interested to know is how like so I I am, am mixed race Caribbean been to quite a few football matches at various levels played at various levels myself I've never been to a Premier League match and and haven't heard racist or homophobic abuse be that targeted toward a fan or a player you guys are with Adams obviously a Tottenham fan gone to a lot of Tottenham matches Lawrence obviously a Liverpool fan but gone to a lot of football through through your career. How many times do you think you've been aware of it? Has it been every time you've been? What's the
1: difference for you guys? I've not been aware of it at all, to be honest. And I surely be. you've been aware of anti-Semitism at, at um Spurs. Um, only, only anti-Semitism in big games. So the likes of Arsenal or Chelsea, there's there's chance of that nature. But not not that I can recall racist or homophobic abuse from the Tottenham fans where I've been sitting. Interesting, because
0: mm-hmm. I, I ask you the same question a minute, Lawrence. Now that I am the mm-hmm. interviewer of and the host of the Front Three podcast for the time being,
2: finally we're diverse.
0: Yeah, <laughs> leave all this in. No, I, I so I went to West Ham Everton game. I've been to a lot of West Ham games and sat in the West Ham section um, over the years. Before. Got a lot of friends that are West Ham fans, unfortunately. Um, but uh, my mate was an Everton fan. He went come to come to this game at Upton Park. It was a Carling Cup or FA Cup match, and he went, "Great, the Everton fans. You'll never hear a a bit of abuse from them. Nothing, nothing racist." Went in there. Within five minutes, I'd heard uh, lots of racist remarks being made here and there, flippantly about feeling like. Uh, They were in Pakistan or feeling like they are in Iraq or something. Yeah. But I think it's but then I turned to my friend who's the Everton fan. And you could see he wasn't tuned into it. So it's not that it's not that it hadn't it's not that it hadn't happened, but and then we walked out of the stadium and I was like, My God, I fucking can't believe the amount of of racist abuse that I heard from Everton fans there towards towards West West Ham fans. So West Ham are coming with all the the usual sign on banter that they're going to throw at scousers but to throw it back it's just like it's fucking like pakistan out here mate coming back from mm. the everton fans i'm obviously massively tuned into that as someone that thinks that could be turned on me whereas i walk yeah. out the stadium with my mate and like did you hear any of that stuff and he's like what what do you mean so he i could i reckon that he's honestly never heard it despite it probably <laughs> being all that around fears- him
1: that feels like quite a uh, on-point illustration, perhaps, of, of what we're talking about at the moment with regards to white privilege and not being aware of these issues and not being aware of some of the, the tribulations that Black and Asian and minority ethnic people face because we're not we're not aware.
2: Yeah, you know, football especially is really good for showing multiple divides. It's not just racial divides; it's like class divides and it's also uh, sex divide and all these kind of things. Mm. And I think there will be people and there are people whilst we're talking about white privilege. Uh, and you know, Adam and I both definitely benefited from that at some point in our career. I think there will be people who feel like they've benefited from their white privilege much less or feel almost like I am white and I'm still discriminated against. So they feel resentful towards the other white people like me who are saying, Hey guys, let's support black lives matter. And actually, what a lot of these white people—I know I sound like I'm generalising, but a lot of white people in less privileged positions than me, because I'm not only white, I'm also a middle class. I'm also—I also was able to get a very decent job. I spoke well for myself. All those kind of things. I An incredibly privileged upbringing. Will also be thinking is, but mate, of course you can say that. You've had all the other benefits that go along with being white and being in London and all these kind of things. I've had to struggle. Not me, but the, these people that I'm speaking about. I've had mm. to struggle. I still can't afford to pay my mortgage. I still can't afford to pay my rent. And yet my government has actually forgotten about me, doesn't give a fuck, but people are now turning around and saying that I need to care about someone else when I've had so many of my own struggles. And I imagine, how I, I'm not saying that's a legit, always a legit concern, but I'm saying, I imagine how at odds that is with how most people feel about society in Britain at the moment anyway. A lot of people will feel forgotten. A lot of them will feel angry and that's where people like Katie Hopkins and Nigel Farage strike because they go you feel disenfranchised you feel disenfranchised because they care more about black people than they do about you and that's not the case but those these two things are played at odds with each other and that plays out in my comments and that plays out at football and that plays out at a lot of sporting events where people take their frustration out and that's why i'm saying i think we should listen to what is being said in some of these places it Because I understand why there are people who don't understand this. And I understand that actually those people need to be able to talk and need to be able to process it too. And I guess that's what's concerning me in football is that we can have a nice polished veneer sort of, you know, we've sorted racism and Messi's in the advert. But while we're busy silencing the racist people, um... Are we really? Are we really hearing what people's concerns actually are, or are we really understanding why some of these people are racist?
0: I think it's a a really good point, Lawrence, and I think it's something that I was always conscious of going to football as well. Is that I'm walking into something that is an outlet for a lot of fans in the stadium who, who maybe there's probably there's going to be a mix of affluence within that within that stadium, but for a lot of people, that's their outlet and that's their place. To, to get their frustrations off their chest and to follow their team and to sort of express themselves. And I'm walking in there and going, oh, hold on, I don't like how I'm, <laughs> I don't feel comfortable myself here now. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, it, it's a weird, it's a very complex feeling to be like, oh, God, maybe I should just let them let them carry on being racist in the football stadium. Yeah, no, that's definitely that's not what like, I'm saying. No, but, no, uh, yeah. but that's how I, that it's all, it's an honest thing of like how I felt like, oh, this is your thing. Like, maybe I should just leave you, leave you to it. <laughs> it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. But, and what I guess I'm trying to say is I appreciate uh, that, that other people have struggles, right. And that other people are going through things and therefore it might, might be tough when, they feel that they're not being heard. To exactly what you're saying, and then some. Mm. Suddenly, something else picks up momentum. But equally, um, yeah, I don't think any anyone in those movements are are saying that other people don't struggle and that other people don't have things. It's really it just shows how tough it is, doesn't it that that.
1: It's like it that all, it's, a, it it's that all lives
0: matter versus black lives matter. And it's like, yeah, obviously all lives matter, Like it's implicit in, That's the, what, in the name.
1: This is to bring it back to what we were talking about at the start, Christian, like this, this is what makes this feel different to me is, I think, as you say, Lawrence, there is still a reaction and there's some people who who don't or can't understand this movement and don't understand how important it is I think there is generally though more of a sense of being open to listen and open to educating uh, themselves there's there's a there's a desire to show empathy and to really try and understand the issues at play and as as we were talking about earlier this problem goes a lot deeper than isolated incidents of of racist abuse or 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 violence it's it's much more insidious and much more deeper than that and that's what feels different about this movement
0: yeah i think it i think it also that's what feel that might be what what feels dangerous and makes me feel worried about it as well is that you're suddenly you're starting to unravel something that people don't want to unravel and i think Mm -hmm. my attempt of the nudge behavior article available at picklesmagazine.com uh my my, my attempt there was to say, rather than try and unravel this terrible thing that reveals that everything is built on racism and that actually <laughs> yeah. clubs are entirely racist and that football fans are entirely racist, don't, don't worry about that. Let's just try and make the, the the objective could be, let's retain the great atmosphere that makes uh, football stadiums a really special place to go whilst actually making it a less uh, fearful place for ethnic minorities to come into and a, a less horrible place for footballers to to do their work that would be a really good outcome for me and what fit and but but whilst the conversation feels different and that's great that people are acknowledging there's a more insidious uh issue at play that Mm. also feels really big and insurmountable to me and you start going oh well, I started unraveling it a little bit and then I realized that I was the problem. But <laughs> maybe let's just put that back in the in the box and put that back in the box for now.
1: There, there, there is a, re- I think there is an acknowledgement and a reckoning there from most people. But I mean, in terms of, in terms of when you say about unraveling, Christian, like one thing I think is really interesting is what sort of precedent this movement sets and how far it will go. So, we were speaking before this podcast, an example that I think is really interesting to me is Meza Erzul, somebody who was dropped quietly by Adidas last week. Now, of course, we don't know the exact reason, but you know, I'd be the first to doubt his ability on the pitch now. But there has been plenty of speculation on Twitter and elsewhere that it's no coincidence. This comes six months after Ozil spoke out about the weaker Muslims who are facing persecution in China. And it feels like maybe that's just too complicated an issue for a brand like Adidas to have their, their athletes take a stance on when China obviously represents a huge opportunity and a, and a lot of money, ultimately. But when you think about the the reaction of football authorities and and football brands, I mean, if Erzo in two weeks' time scores for Arsenal, reveals a message under his shirt reading, justice for Uyghur Muslims, are the Premier League and FIFA still going to say he deserves applause and not punishment?
0: Yeah, I can't claim to know too much about the the issues that Meza Erzl is standing up for and mm. I know that Lawrence is someone that has more knowledge than I do in terms of the Islamic faith and, and some of the issues that might unravel there. But I I certainly would be skeptical again that if a footballer <laughs> stood up for something that that wasn't backed by a load of social media momentum that mm. it would that they would be supported in the same way. I feel that the the uh, the authorities and institutions will just typically do what they always do, which is go. Well, what's going to help us continue to make money and 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 be less problematic for us? And and if a footballer comes out next week like Urso oh, and, and lifts up <laughs> his shirt and goes "fuck you all," let's see what you do now. He's going to put them in a bit of a predicament, uh, uh, put them yeah. in a bit of a predicament, and and have a decision to make there. Because um, we
1: saw this, we saw Pep Guardiola was charged by the FA back in 2018 for wearing a yellow ribbon, which was in support of political leaders jailed following the Catalonia independence referendum. You, know, you have to think about Israel and Palestine, Lawrence. There's plenty of issues that, as Christian says, don't necessarily have this wave of social media momentum behind them. And you do wonder how far this commitment to social justice is really going to go from the likes of the Premier League and FIFA
2: it's also what you can class as social justice or what you can mm. actually class as political decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there will be that. I think, you know, we've seen this over the last week in the NBA, not to bring up the NBA again, but we've seen um, a Celtics player, Gordon Haywood tweet his solidarity with uh, black lives matter only to have a barrage of tweets. A correct. A correct barrage. I like a barrage. I don't like Nigel barrage, but I like a barrage. And, I, and, uh, of his, uh, a screenshot of his contributions towards Donald Trump's, um, a inauguration, but the right. election. And I think a lot of people, uh, it, there are times where it reaches a critic. Like you said, it reaches a tipping point or it reaches a critical mass. And Colin Kaepernick was the first one to step outside of those boundaries. And, um, I know it sounds incredibly harsh, but I also think we kind of have to get to a point where, again, it's down to the honesty and how honest are we willing to be with this? How honest is Adidas as a brand willing to be with the reasons that they dropped Meza Ozil? How honest is any brand willing to be when there's money on the line? Because it's all well and good being honest in your ad campaigns and saying you're going to be transparent. And I'm not calling Adidas out here. Uh, you know, I've worked quite closely with them for a couple of years. So I know there's a lot of very good people in the organization who do want uh, to see social reform and are working towards that and were very conscious about bringing more black athletes into the media and were more conscious about especially bringing in black journalists um, into, into their ad campaigns. I guess... At some point, we all have to acknowledge that sometimes this is really fucking difficult. Like, actually, you will be cast out. And sometimes you will have people who disagree with you. And it's whether you choose to ignore that or not. And it's whether you choose to stand by that or not. And I'm, I'm not saying black people have to be ostracized or anyone who stands for Black Lives Matter has to be ostracized. But ultimately, there is going to be, there are going to be costs that people pay for speaking out sometimes. And that is because it is at odds. And that is partly what protesting is for. It's to go at odds with what the prevailing or the, you know, the, sometimes the majority think. I'm not saying it's right that therefore those people should suffer. But I am saying maybe it, maybe instead of thinking, God, they've got rid of Ozil." we as consumers should therefore say hmm not 100% thrilled with this adidas hmm not 100% thrilled with this china um and <laughs> instead of going because actually it, it's it's very much going down the route of our, our, all of our response on the podcast was oh dear anyway there's not really much we can do about that is that you know it's like that that was the that yeah. was the reaction maybe we need to assess what our reaction is to it is what i'm saying and actually when, when a brand is honest enough to go we're dropping because of this instead of saying oh god well you know too too hot too bad and moving on we maybe you know if we're so if we do really feel the conviction of it then we go with our convictions but that's a lot to ask of a consumer and that's also a lot to ask of consumerism
0: yeah i think you made a really interesting point with like the brands being honest and i would be i would say that nike with colin kaepernick is the closest to really putting your your flag in the sand and and your cards on the table but if a brand went no we're we're sticking by this or we're backing this and we know that it's going to have a negative impact on our revenue that's true true purpose right and that's not the role of brands brands have been set up to make money (laughs) and therefore their purpose often has to complement their ability to make money and and to me true purpose is when you sacrifice sacrifice that right and you go no do, we're do you willing- think those
2: two things are at odds then do you think those two things are at odds because it feels a bit like you know obviously what we saw with Nike when they put out the Colin Kaepernick thing their share price went up do you think that um we are likely to see a move in that direction where if you are seen to be socially moving things forward you will you will you'll see the benefits society will, will reward you in a sense
0: yeah, my worry would be that uh, companies would see what Nike had done, see that stock price share, see the revenues go up and go, actually it pays to be purposeful, whereas what purpose is is saying we're willing to take less revenue to stand up for something we believe in. We're willing to make less profit to be more sustainable and we'll work as hard as we can to make that as profitable as possible. And if it can be pro- even more profitable, great. But actually what true purposes is is saying we're willing to make less profit to do this thing that we believe in and i think that's going to be really difficult for for brands and businesses to to do when it comes to to a subject like this because how
2: much importance do you give christian to to the psychological aspect of it to when you're talking about nudge behavior what you're also talking about is not necessarily the most overt action but actually like you say nudge instead of punch like a very subtle action which doesn't necessarily lay blame at anyone's doorstep, but does change people's actions, how much importance do you put on not just the performative or the activism side of things?
0: Well, I think the importance is completely like what you're doing behind the scenes and and what your intentions are rather than the tweet or the post you put out and even for me as as someone that's worked on purpose projects, corporate social responsibility projects for big global corporations i'm always yeah i just similarly to what you said about adidas i've worked with some really nice people that work in big brands and work on these projects and they're trying to do their best and and they might not even be the sort of people that are aware of the issues that their brands are embroiled in so it's not to point blame at anyone at those organizations or anything like that but but i think really really doing something behind the scenes is 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 a lot more powerful than than putting out a post and even the the donations and the the sort of the money that brands are pledging, I almost think, well, that to me personally, that's empty compared to what you could do with your sort of recruitment process or ensuring there was more diversity within the decision-making part of your organisation to ensure things like this don't happen again. Now that's a lot to ask because that's asking people to... To sort of fundamentally change and look in the mirror and maybe even do themselves out of a a, a job potentially, but that's where my mind goes to when I see, oh, Puma have donated this much money. I'm like, so don't donate, don't donate any money to anything. Just go and change your internal recruitment process, and that'd be much more impressive. But equally, I've spoken to a few brands. Over the last year, that are doing things behind the scenes that you don't know about, that 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 aren't speaking about it because they think it's important to do things properly before they communicate about it externally.
1: I just wanted to finish by talking about Kick Out, Christian, because they're obviously advocating for all Premier League players to show solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and Neil when the Premier League returns. But it's an interesting one because you've had experiences with the organisation in the past. Essentially, Kick It Out are the UK's football equality and inclusion campaign. They're funded by the Premier League. They're funded by the Football Association. But they're often accused of being ineffectual in terms of bringing forward initiatives that get actual results.
0: So my experience of Kick It Out has been as a, as a person that played at like grassroots and semi-professional level and, and experienced a lot of racial abuse, I never once reported it to kick it out because as a football player at a low level, a bad football player, and also as a football fan, I just thought, oh, they're an archaic organisation. If I report this abuse, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. So I haven't even bothered to look into it. That's a a superficial judgment call based on that perception of them. And then about uh, a year or so ago, I was introduced to to kick it out through... um, through the company that we were working for and I met uh Andros Townsend's dad Troy Townsend who's the head of development there uh, mm. in a meet in a really really bizarre meeting with him and and Robbie Lyle from
1: from Arsenal <laughs> Fan TV which uh, yeah. we know was Robbie. we know Robbie
0: yeah which was uh, <laughs> which was quite um yeah it was quite bizarre and and to be honest it didn't I thought I thought Troy was a really nice person very personal clearly really cared was very passionate they didn't do anything to change my perspective on that, that organisation and I didn't hear anything that filled me with hope but what it did do is make me go, this is a really good guy that clearly really cares so I I, I reached out a little bit more to to some other people in the organisation so I met the chief executive um, Rasheen she's called and the head of fundraising, a guy called Rob really really nice people that are doing really good work in the space and care, care a lot but like you said my My impression and my interpretation of kick it out is that they are ultimately hamstrung by the fact that they are funded by the Premier League the FA and the EFL which means that the very people that sometimes they need to to criticize are the people that keep them alive and keep their lights on so it's a they're in a difficult situation where they're trying to do their best job but are a bit restricted um, and and the calls for them to get players to go on one knee before every game for the rest of the season—I just rolled my eyes out because it's just another version of their t-shirt. Mm. There's no, there's no action at the end still, and 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 I hope and I believe that they will they'll be trying to do things to change their perception. I know that they're doing some some stuff behind the scenes at the minute to to sort of review how they how they operate and and i hope it goes well but there are organizations out there like calm in the mental health space that do a lot of very progressive campaigning and there's always an action at the end Mm. so for example they'll they'll do a creative campaign with top man where they bottle the tears of a love island contestant but at the end of that campaign all that noise and that awareness that they've generated comes with a call to action that might be to get a anti-suicide prevention minister elected into the house of the parliament or yeah. change the algorithm on instagram but they they're very passionate as an organization that there's always an action at the end of things, clear things they goals. do there's clear goals and that that to me is someone that that sort of works in and around this this industry of advertising goals <laughs> objectives yeah. kpis they're the bit that are important to me and i just don't see or hear anything uh from kick it out unfortunately that goes that a step further and goes, this is the action we want. And here's a, here's a suggestion or here's a conversation starter of how to get that going. Equally, they might be doing things behind the scenes that I'm not aware of or having conversations like that. But the thing, the, 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 the communication they put out publicly never really has that tangible action. So it feels like it is a bit missing.
1: And I think as we're saying, it's, as we've been saying this whole conversation, is such an overwhelming problem, racism, systemic racism. There needs to be clear goals at different levels, potentially, in order to tackle it.
2: That, that's often the problem is it feels like such a massive, unmanageable thing that a lot of people just go, well, we'll see what can happen there. Um, and actually, I know I'm probably guilty of that as well. But I think if there's one thing I know Adam Boltwood's at, is putting a pointed plan together to get things achieved. <laughs> <Yeah>. um and <laughs> you're, you've gonna got to, solve, like,
0: you're gonna solve it silence is complicity solve
2: it now uh, i i think i, I do think that's honestly part of it is having because also i think a lot of people go this is such a huge movement black lives matter it can feel like it can dwarf an individual but actually like those that is really important and that people everyone is sort of contributing
0: yeah and those people those people that are that, that I've had similar conversations with friends from my hometown that don't realise the power they have, and they're think probably thinking, "What am I? What 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 is it? Gonna, what what am I going to do in the grand scheme of this?" But I'm going to say this, but actually it has a massive impact. But I think to your point, Adam, the objectives there's a positive note to land on. I thought Raheem Sterling, despite the misquotation of him or the quotation or taking the one little mis misstep in 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 what he said about it being the only virus out there at the minute which obviously isn't true. What he did say in that in that interview that was good was, I'm a footballer. I'm just going to talk about something that I see as a footballer, which is a lack of representation in coaches and, and management that would be useful for me as a black footballer. Now, that would be a great little step. So wh- whether it's nudge behaviour to change the fan experience a little bit for the better, getting some more representation within coaching, these small objectives with that longer-term goal, that that feels like that could be the positive to take from, from all this momentum, all this confusion, all these different emotions that are rumbling around.
1: Christian, it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast. Fascinating conversation. Uh, your article this week nudge football out of the game in is it pickles magazine i don't know if you've mentioned where where people can read it at all yeah
0: picklesmagazine.com <laughs> at pickles magazine on instagram and twitter it's yeah, one of there. many it's one of many really good articles about football and culture and, and sort of the stories that transcend football it's a it's a good magazine from a good bunch of guys talented writers and artists
1: Thanks to everyone for listening. Do let us know what you think on Twitter. We're at the front three. I'd be fascinated to hear your views. Please leave us a review as well if you can. Every little helps. And we'll be seeing you next Wednesday when the Premier League returns. Speak then. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable.